Victoria, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to this discussion. Uh, So you are a human design coach and reader, and you have a compelling story in terms of how you came to this work. But before we get into that, I want to ask you some questions that really lay the framework of the human design model so that listeners have context for your experience. So what is human design? Yeah, great question. So I like to describe human design as a system to help each person understand the blueprint for how their energy works so that you can live more in flow. Because I think, you know, we've all had situations in our life where either, you know, things are, everything's going right and it feels so good and you have, you know, all this energy available to you and everything's, you know, just clicking and things feel really successful. And then we can also think of times when, you know, we've really been struggling and pushing and like, maybe we got something across the finish line, but it just felt like, you know, a challenge every single step of the way. And when you contrast those two things, I think intuitively we all know there's a way to do things in alignment and there's a way to do them out of alignment. And so that's what human design really guides us back into is how do we find the flow in every moment um, based on our, uh, our unique charts. And so human design uses your birth date time info, and it draws on a few traditions, including the chakra system, the I Ching, the Kabbalah, and astrology to give each person essentially a map of your energetic gifts and the way you best exchange your energy with the world around you. That's really interesting. Um, I'm kind of a self-proclaimed personality test junkie, but I really feel like human design is unique, uh, at least in terms of how I felt learning about my specific chart as uh, opposed to what I've gleaned from other personality tests. So I'm curious what you think makes human design different from other personality tests. Yeah, I love this question because I'm a personality test junkie as well. So I would say like for a lot of personality tests, I think, you know, you usually like take a quiz and you're kind of answering based on how you think of yourself, which is always inherently a little biased because we want to think of ourselves in a good way versus, you know, maybe what we perceive to be our weaknesses or, you know, other things. Um, So I think the first difference is human design is just based on the factual information of this is your birth date time, this is what you come in at. And then to me, the other difference is a lot of these other systems, they're getting at let's say, you know, the way you, you behave externally, like Myers-Briggs, you know, what is the observable? Are you introverted or extroverted? Or sometimes it gets a little deeper, like, what are your motivations? Um, Like Enneagram, like, oh, are you, you know, are you extroverted because you want to achieve success? Are you extroverted because you want to win the love of people around you or, you know, something else? Um, But human design really gets at stripping away, like, all of the experiences, the programming, the conditioning we have, may have come across in, in life, the, the sort of foundational piece of who you're really, who you're really meant to be. And we can go in more into like specifically what I mean by that, because I know that's a very abstract statement. Um, but we'll go into types and some of the examples really of what um, human design can tell you about yourself. But at its highest level, it's um, kind of like innately 
the way you acted as a kid, a lot, a lot of times I'll read people's charts and they're like, oh yeah, that's like really how I am. Or, oh yeah, I would do that if I didn't feel guilty about, you know, X, Y, Z, or if I wasn't shooting all over myself. So that's, I think the difference. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that's really interesting. You know, one of the things that struck me when I first started learning about human design is that, uh, because it is, it's based on, you know, this static criteria, uh, it was something I could apply to my children. Whereas, you know, with Enneagram and things like that, while it's really profound and really useful, it's not really something I would feel comfortable um, using with them at this point because, you know, they they just don't have the life experience really to even be able to answer the questions that would, you know, um, that would, that would give us, uh, their type. And, um, and then the other thing is obviously, you know, which you were speaking to is that so many times when adults are, um, answering personality test questions, it is, it may be, like you said, idealists, what they wish they were, or it could be that they're answering as a result of the person they've become due to conditions in their life, be that, you know, trauma or uh, excessive stress or whatever it is, and their personality has really deviated from who they were meant to be. I think especially if you're in a personality test, you know, we're the type of people that are like searching for information and wanting to grow and change. And sometimes I've, I've personally fell into the trap of like, oh, maybe like clinging too tightly to the information. And what I love about human design is ultimately it's all about putting, putting someone's inner authority first. So, you know, with the case of, you know, uh, your children, for example, and knowing their charts, while it can be helpful and certainly give you some, like a starting place to think about like, oh, you know, maybe my kid is cranky right now. Is it because they're, you know, they're, they don't have a safe role and they've been, we've been like running around all day or something like that. Um, Every like the human design system is all about experimenting, right? Even the founder Ra himself was like, "Listen, I'm not telling you you have to do anything a certain way. This is about you removing the programming that you may have picked up and deciding for yourself what you want." And so we'll get into like energy type and authority, um, but so that's I think another another I don't want to say difference from other systems, but like a key thing that I find really helpful that I really like about the system which is like hey you know we can talk about like you being a manifester but ultimately you know when you make decisions about what to do in your career or relationships it's this is human design will tell you well listen to your spleen so you get to ultimately decide absolutely so i want to get into a little discussion of the five energy types of human design and i put together four questions for each type they're the same four questions, but I think that they will help people to understand how these types really look and function out in the world. Totally. So, and just to describe, like, if you pull up, I'm, I'm sure we can link it in the show notes. If you pull up your free chart online, you'll see some words that'll tell you what type you are, but you'll also see like a picture of a chart and there'll be all these shapes and lines and some things will be colored and some things won't. And so your type is based on which like shapes are colored in or not colored in essentially. And so everyone will fall into one of five types and really quickly um, those five types are manifester, generator, manifesting generator, 
Um, those first three that I just named are all considered energy types. So people who create more energy when they're doing what they love, they tend to be able to kind of go longer without breaks because they're just so excited by what they're doing. And then the last two types, projectors and reflectors, are considered non-energy types, which doesn't mean they, they don't have energy, they, they do, but it's just simply when they're doing the things they love, they still don't have a consistent source of, they're not creating more energy when they're doing what they love, so they still need breaks and um, are also able to kind of tap into other people's energy. They're more receptive to other people's energy. That's interesting. So, okay, let's start with the energy types. So what is a manifester? Yeah. And I always go in this order because each type has a specific kind of purpose to play in, in society and in our community and your whatever, the group, Um, which is also nice to kind of like stop and reflect on because it means uh, we don't all have to act the same, right? And everybody shows up in the exact proportion that we need as a group to be able to kind of function, right? So manifestors come first because they're the ones who are really meant to initiate things um, energetically. And so every type has what's called a strategy. And so in order to be successful um, and inflow, you wanna follow your strategy. And so for manifestors, and they're less than 10% of the population, um, manifestors are really meant to just kind of do whatever they feel like. And it's funny because everybody who's not a manifester wishes they were a manifester because, you know, we all, we've all been told like, just do it, like go out, hustle, get after it. But when you're actually, and you know, I would love to hear experience as well. When you come in as a manifester, um, sometimes that energy can be really loud. And if people don't know who are around you, kind of how to handle that, they might be off put by it. And so a lot of manifestors um, have grown up with, you know, maybe they were shamed or kind of told like, you know, don't rub people the wrong way, like try to go along with everyone. And so even though for them, it's so, so great to just do something because they feel like it and really give like more than anyone else, really not care about what other people think or say, um, it can be so hard because that's kind of like, um, you know, like a core wound because it's so them and yet they've been told to not be that. And so we we get to learn a lesson too in terms of what we come in as. Um, so anyway, so their strategy is to initiate and then inform because the other really important part is in living out the manifest or purpose of, of starting things, you wanna make sure that people can join in on your movement. So um, you wanna let everyone know like, hey, I'm, uh, I'm planning this event, like we're gonna do this thing, I'm organizing this, whatever, come in and join, and then other people can start to kind of bring their own energy too. And would you say that manifestors have a unique ability to kind of draw a crowd or bring people in? Yeah. So manifestors, this is the fun thing. Like you don't have to do anything, right? Because the the whole system is about your energy. Like just when you're in a room, people will sense that manifestor energy of like, oh, you know, Carly's like, whenever you do something, people will notice. Um, And so there's a natural ability to, for sure. Um, and it doesn't even have to be like something you really like go out of your way to do, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what you're saying is interesting. People haven't figured it out yet. I'm a manifester. That's my type. And, um, I think I've only really started living in alignment with that probably in the last mm, five to seven years. Um, I've always 
I think, taken advantage of the manifestor energy in that, um, you know, I've been able to say, I want to do this and uh, see clearly what I need to do in order to be able to do that. And a lot of times it will come to fruition. But I was um, kind of using that ability within the context of what the people around me really wanted from me. And um, still sort of like people, like maybe not people pleasing, but sensing out like, oh, I should make myself available to other people's needs. Yeah. I mean, well, I think, I think it really, it, for me, it really was people pleasing and it's kind of, um, you know, it's interesting. I'm the child of an alcoholic and, um, you know, all of the tendencies you kind of develop from that self-preservation tendencies and um, desire to go out in the world and be validated. And so I, early on, you know, learned that if I kind of used my ability to um, achieve and make things happen uh, to in a, in a way that was pleasing to those around me that I would like get that validation that I wasn't getting, you know, from my mother to get really deep really quickly. <laughs> um, and it's really been that part of my life was such a misuse of that manifestor energy. And that's something I've really been able to recognize in, um, in the recent decade. And it's amazing how, you know, as I have been able to kind of work through those childhood wounds and shift uh, the way I use that energy, how much better I feel. And as you were talking about how much more in flow, um, I feel how much more effective I can be with less energy, with less output. Um, I mean, I was fortunate to always be pretty successful, but it took a lot of effort. And I think it was taking so much effort because I wasn't in alignment with my personal path and what and who I was really meant to be and what I was really uh, meant to do. And it's amazing how much less resistance there is, um, at least for me, since I've been able to step out of the space of caring so much what the people around me think. I mean, it's obviously a work in progress and I'm sure this is not a problem that's unique to manifestors, but that is how it's presented for me as a manifester. Um, and it's something that I imagine you probably see with other manifestors as well, that kind of misdirection of energy. Yeah. Well, like I said before, I feel like so often I, there's like one of two reactions when I'm telling people about their charts. Either it'll be like, oh my gosh, yes, that's so me. And I've always known that, or like, I'm already doing that. Other times it'll be, oh wow, that's like the exact opposite of what I've been doing. And actually this is the most painful thing for me to, not painful, but it's, it's like, I've been doing the opposite because I've been trying to, because what's really me has not been, I haven't felt safe doing it or it hasn't been okay, right? And so the example you're giving of like, yeah, I have this really strong manifestor energy and I can just go out and do things, but I, I used it in sort of um, like a, I wasn't using it out of integrity to like who I authentically was, but more to get validation, um, which is totally understandable. Like, I, I mean, I have so much compassion, right? For that part of your history and your journey as well, because um, we're all just trying to survive as, as children and do the best we can. 
Um, but I'm so happy to hear, and I'm so happy to hear that you're feeling more alignment now because for a manifester, when you're, you know, you have this strong energy that wants to go out and do things. And so when you're, when you're not, when you're not allowing that for yourself, you're not giving yourself the permission to do that, <clears throat> that energy tends to get um, stuck in a way that, that manifests as anger. Cause it's like, I can't do what I want. I'm upset at the situation around me. I'm upset at other people for keeping me small. I'm upset at myself for letting this happen. Right. It all kind of like builds there. So um, for a manifester out of alignment feels like anger and feeling in alignment, like you described, it's like, Oh, you can just be at peace. You can like exhale. You can just do your own thing and there's no resistance. Yeah, I absolutely resonate with that. Um, I will tend to, when I feel like uh, I'm too controlled or I'm having to operate on somebody else's terms more than I would like, for me, that always shows up as as anger and resentment and frustration. Yeah, um, and it doesn't it doesn't have to be. Um, it doesn't have to be like a hard, challenging thing to own like a man, your manifesto urges more. Like I think we all, myself included, have to work on this like sort of like old paradigm, like fixed pie mentality that like, oh, if I do what I want, that means someone else is going to be upset. When actually that's not the case, right? If you're in your highest purpose, being a manifester, following your urges on behalf of like creating movement in society, then that's actually the best for everyone else around. So you know, maybe someone wants you to do something one way and you're like, no, I really want to do it the other. But for manifestors, I really, who are listening, I encourage you to think about how you can own those, own those needs and desires from a place of empowerment as opposed to shame. Because when we show up in, for lack of a better word, like a high vibration way, right, then people see that we're in our truth. And there's not this weird dynamic where it's like they feel that you're kind of small and doubting in, in your needs and they can prey on that, right? But instead, it's like, you know what, that I, you know, that way sounds great, but I know this way is going to work best for me. Um, you're welcome to join if you want. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, can you speak to a manifester's ideal work habits? Um, Specifically, I know something that I have read uh, about manifestors is that they tend to work best in spurts where they can get a lot of done, a lot done in um, a condensed period of time, and then they may require periods of rest. Is that, mm -hmm. is that correct? What is that? Yeah, that's, like? that's totally correct. It, um, so manifestors are considered an energy type, but the thing that they have different from generators and MGs is that you don't have a sacral center defined. And so now we're going deeper into the chart specifically. And the sacral center is one of the squares that can be filled out that's related to like the second chakra kind of primal life force energy. And so generators and MGs, they're about 70% of the population. And that's really kind of what our modern like nine to six kind of work day, that, that's who it's built for. Because the sacral energy is like this constant steady fire. So these people have their inner fire that kind of follows your, your typical kind of like 24 hour clock. People wake up in the morning, they're ready to go. Um, they can go all day. Things are exciting. Um, and then they're tired at the end of the night and they fall asleep. Uh, but for manifestors, projectors, and reflectors, we don't have access to we don't have our own source of sacral energy. We can feel others. We can feel great when we're working with a bunch of generators and MGs, um, but we don't have that available to ourselves. That said, manifestors do have 
they do have other sources of energy and it would depend on what you have colored in your chart that would speak to more of the quality of that energy for you. Um, you have your ego center defined. So that's where you get your energy, energy as a manifester. And that ego energy connects up to the throat. So you can, this is where the word manifester comes from. You can literally speak something into existence, right? First, there was the word. That's kind of like the manifester, um, I don't know, like that's the manifester uh, energetic quality. And so ego energy, um, unlike sacral energy, is, well, first of all, it's different in terms of what it what it wants, right? Ego desires are wanting kind of success in the material plane. All of the gates in the ego center are kind of like around, you know, knowing how to sell something or knowing how to manage resources. They're all very like kind of practical in this way. And the ego energy is willful, right? It's like, if you want to get something done, like you sure as hell will get it done. Um, ego, ego defined folks can be great at like being competitive as well. Um, but it's, it's not that steady burn, right? The ego energy is a little more like, I want to do something and I'm going to go do it. And it, it works to have fun, right? It's not like there to slave away all the time. And so I've also had a bunch of manifestors ask like, okay, so what exactly does this working in spurts look like, right? Like what is, what does my day to day or month to month look like? And to that, I would say it definitely depends on the person. And it also depends on what does your like ego want to do, right? Um, for some people, I know it's like they can work for three weeks kind of nonstop and then take a week off, but it could even be, you could even have like a kind of like a cycle in a week, right? So it's again, tuning into, am I actually excited to do this thing or am I feeling, or am I not feeling it? Um, yeah. What has your experience been as, as you've learned a little bit about that piece of it? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm sitting over here kind of laughing because you're talking about how our world is really set up for generators and manifesting generators. Um, and that's absolutely been my experience. I mean, I work for myself now, thankfully, I I'm truly one of those people that feel like I cannot work for anybody else. Um, but when I first got out of school and I was in the corporate world, it was just such a smack in the face because I was used to being a very high achiever in college. But what I didn't realize was I, I mean, I never had anybody looking over me in terms of how I got my work done or how I studied, you know? And so I would a lot of times, I mean, sometimes there was a lot of procrastination and I would wait till the last couple of days and really cram through to get something done. Um, or other times I would, you know, work a couple days and then not for a couple days and then, you know, or divert my attention elsewhere. You know, um, I always had my hands in a lot of pots and I might feel like I need to, you know, hop over to another project for a while and then come back to you know, this thing that I was on deadline for or whatever. And that style of work did not translate to the corporate world <laughs> at all. I mean, it was so difficult for me. And it was funny too, because um, I had actually graduated valedictorian of my college class. And so I think I was really an attractive candidate to employers and I think that, I don't want to say that I was disappointing, but I think I, I was definitely not what they expected. Um, well, being a manifester, you're not what people, you're, you know, you're less than 10% of the population. You're probably not what people think of when they're like, oh, I'm just going to hire, you know, your standard top of the class graduate. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I had a very hard time, you know, like, I mean, now it's so much more common that we, you know, maybe work from home and have flex time and all these things. But, you know, over a decade ago, when I first got in the corporate world, it was still very much a nine to five culture or, you know, I was working in Chicago where it was more like, you know, eight to seven or eight to eight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, was like 50 years ago. I feel like everybody works, you know, yeah. Like you said, they work like 10, 12 hour days now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and to me, the idea of like sitting in an office and sitting in meetings every single day over and over all day, I mean, it was absolute misery. And even though I was, you know, out there applying the knowledge that I had, you know, studied for, you know, four years in school and I enjoyed it in school, I did not enjoy the practical application of it in that way. Um, I had in school had some internships and things, but again, I was doing kind of so many different things and it was at different times and I wasn't um, so beholden to this like very specific schedule. And man, I just really, really struggled with that and really struggled with, um, as I was working in PR and I mean, that's a 24 hour cycle. Like you, there is no downtime. <laughs> you don't get to be off ever. And to me, I just, I could not sustain it. Um, I mean, I could do really great work for, you know, as you're talking about like a certain period of time, and then I would just hit a wall and, and that's just not acceptable in that field. And so I quickly figured out like, I'm like, this is not going to be sustainable for me long-term. And, um, you know, eventually then I started making moves to, you know, figure out what I really wanted to do and, and, um, and figure out how I could work for myself because I just, I, I mean, staring down the barrel of that for, you know, the rest of my life, I was just, that was like going to be hell on earth for me. Yeah. How long were you in PR? I'm curious. Um, gosh, I guess I only stayed in about five years yeah. um, and bounced around kind of doing some other things that were somewhat related like marketing and that kind of thing that were mellower and those were better fits but still not great because I still was beholden to somebody else's timetable and um and even just you know like expectations about how I would get things done too I mean I remember one of the last jobs I had before I um started working for myself the, uh, I really needed like my office door shut when I would get into these spurts of work. Right. Cause I'm like so focused when it's, when I'm in this working spurt and that really wasn't acceptable in that office culture. Like they kind of took that as me being rude and not wanting to partake in, in office culture. And that wasn't it at all. I mean, I very much, I'm very outgoing and I love people, but when I'm like really in that zone where I need to get things done, I cannot have distractions. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Well, there's two things I wanted to say. Um, but to the last, to the more recent part, like wherever we have white, um, white centers in our chart is where we can take in other people's energy. So like, I'm similar. I like hate to be interrupted when I'm working. And for you, you have, you know, the open sacral, you have the open root. So like, you know, not only are people, can people be physically kind of interrupting, but it's like, if they're in your energy and you're kind of picking that up, it can pull you out of, you know, wherever you're, whatever headspace you're in. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, I kind of laugh when I talk about this because, you know, I have two kids and a third one on the way. And it's like, I mean, talk about having your work interrupted constantly. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, my husband, uh, on the other hand, you know, he d- deals very well with, with interruption and he can just kind of come in and out of his workflow without a problem. And so he'll, handle, you know, the kids being around with his work much better than I will. And, um, you know, it's something I, I tend to be a little more high maintenance, you know, I, I need more like accommodation made for me if I'm like, okay, I'm going to work this block to this block, you know, I need you to take the kids out and away. And, um, and it's funny cause I feel like that's almost stereotypically, uh, the, you know, female role is usually, you know, trying to keep, kids away from daddy's work and and daddy's really protective over that. But with us, um, it's very opposite where he's quite tolerant of that. And I just, I really struggle. I mean, at least if I'm doing any kind of serious work. Yeah. But isn't it nice to know that too? And like, just be like, yeah, that's how I am. And that's okay. Versus, I mean, I, I don't know what it took you to get to this point, but hopefully like, you know, not beating yourself up about like, oh, like I should just be more chill or whatever. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I mean, especially as a mother, obviously there's so much mom guilt in general for for all mothers. Um, and you'll, you know, kind of tag on to anything that, you know, any kind of shortcoming or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, I really for a long time gave myself a hard time about that. Uh, because it does seem so high maintenance, you know, and I'm like, oh, am I burdening my partner? Because he doesn't require this from me, you know. Um but, but the, the trade-off is he'll work like much longer periods of time or need much longer periods of time overall. Whereas like if I have four hours, you know, I can get a tremendous amount accomplished in that amount of time, as long as I don't have distraction. And then I'm open to meet, you know, my family's needs after that. So in reality, it probably all evens out, but yeah, it does. It did take some time to get to that place where I could just be accepting of, Hey, that's just how I am and how I operate. And it's, you know, not better or worse than anybody else. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess to go back to the, to the human design piece, it's like, yeah, you're a manifester. I don't know if you told me what your partner's type is, but like, if he's a different type, he can hit and his chart looks different. I mean, I'm sure it does. Um, there are all different ways in which we can handle things differently and we're better at some situations than others and it's all good right we can all support each other in what our strengths are and we don't have to be we can be equal but not exactly the same yeah absolutely and i think that um obviously recognizing that and then recognizing the ways that society is set up to uh, uh both accommodate and reward you know, specific types, um, I think is really key too, because I think, you know, people can sort of unconsciously be blaming themselves or berating themselves because they're not, um, fitting into the way, you know, society is set up when in reality, if we're kind of taking a more macro perspective, we can see that society is, is really set up to meet the needs of a very, you know, comparatively small percentage of people. Totally. Yeah. Like, like being a manifester, you know, you're here to initiate, but you can't be initiating things 24 seven, right? That's also part of the, the thing. So it's like, when you're excited, you can do something, you can work, work on it nonstop. And then you're like, okay, I'm done. Like, this is good. 
other people can, you know, run with what I've started and I'm going to go take care of myself now so that I can like be the spark for the next thing that comes along. Right. So let's talk about generators. Yeah. Uh, so I like to talk about um, generators and MGs together because they have some similarities. Um, the thing that they both have in common is that they have that sacral center colored in or defined. And so their energetic, the way their energy works is they have this inner fire, which when they're doing what they love, it's warm and glowy. And when they're saying yes to the things that excite them, it's like they're, they're putting more logs on their fire, right? So they shine and sparkle. And then that spills out into the room and to the people around them. And so their overall purpose is to really lift other people up with their with their joy with their excitement by doing what they love um and so their strategy as they move through life as they share what it is that they have to offer is all about taking action only after they have felt something in their gut because that's where the sacral um, center lives and any generator or mg i talk to i'm like oh do you feel like when i explain what the sacral center is and i ask them do you feel like you're in tune with you know, that excitement in your gut. It's like, yes, definitely. Like everybody knows what it feels like. And it could be different. It doesn't have to always be in the gut. So specifically, some people feel it as like, maybe like a tingle on their skin or just like excitement, expansion, they're smiling, they're leaning in. Um, but it's something usually quite bodily that is more energetic and more excited. Um, and because there's so much energy that can come from the gut when it's, when it's something that lights them up, it's really important to pursue things with the, the support of that energy versus forcing yourself to do something you really don't want to do because then that excitement isn't there, then your natural energy isn't there. And so that's when it's like, yeah, you can like brute force something, but it's not going to be, it's not going to feel that great. And so the strategy that you'll see on a chart, it'll say to respond. And all that means is to respond from your gut, to wait for, to feel that excitement first before you decide to go after something. So what advice would you give to a generator who feels out of alignment with their path or unhappy? Yeah. So in general, um, when a generator feels like they don't have energy, sometimes I talk to people and they're like, I don't think I'm a generator because I'm tired. Um, usually it all comes back to somehow not living in alignment with that, with that gut energy. So either, you know, they're in a job they don't actually like doing, or they're saying yes to too many things that, you know, they feel like they're supposed to, they're being the helpful ones when, like, because they've been conditioned that that's how they're going to be loved and valued, but really they're not taking care of, say, themselves first. Um, it could look like so many different things, but ultimately it's, they don't feel that gut, they're not responding, but they're just using their mind to say, well, I need to do these things. And, putting themselves in that, um, that kind of like mental trap. And what happens is then that, that really strong gut energy gets kind of backed up and the, the not self theme, like we were talking about, it was anger for, um, for manifestors, for generators, MGs, it's frustration. Um, and so it's just kind of like that energy in the gut, like it wants to do something, but it's, it's not able to. So the biggest thing is for generators to learn how to say, no, right? Because you have to clear space in order for you to find something that you actually enjoy doing that will give you excitement. So I know it can be so hard to be like, well, uh, let's say it's the job that you're unhappy at. It can be really hard to say like, I don't want to do this. And it doesn't have to be like an overnight change, right? Sometimes um, 
taking a more subtle approach can be more sustainable and long lasting. But even just recognizing like, hey, maybe I'm unhappy with my job and I'm going to try to like pull my energy back, even if it's, even if you have to stay in the job for practical reasons, but maybe no longer being so invested in it, not so tied up like with your identity in it and thinking about, all right, I'm going to like kind of be open to being guided in new directions can be a really great start. So at their core, generators get energized from like just kind of getting out there and doing as long as what they're doing is in alignment with their core self. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, yeah. So they can, generators and MGs can do a lot, right? Cause that sacral center is so powerful. Um, but, and so the difference between a generator and then a manifesting generator is that manifesting generators, in addition to their sacral center, they also have some energy going to their throat. So they have this kind of manifestor equality, but because they have a defined sacral center, that will always be the most, um, that, will also, that will always take priority in terms of how they think about what they're gonna pursue and how they share their gifts. Um, but because there's that kind of spontaneous quality of manifestor energy, MGs will often be quickly excited by different things and also just as quickly not excited by them. So they tend to be a little more multi-passionate and the big lesson for them is to learn how to really be okay with pivoting with change because they're just gonna be excited by so many more things than other people. And other people who aren't MGs might not understand that. Okay. And then the other thing with manifesting generals generators I know the mouthful. <laughs> is um this idea that they can kind of you know like a manifester visualize something or speak something um almost into fruition but then also they can take the very tangible steps that need to be taken um you know to make that thing happen too is that is that correct yeah so um I'm pausing because it also depends on the person's chart and specifically kind of what connects where as to how it's a spectrum, how manifestor E versus how generator E and MG can be. Um, but the, the thing that takes precedence that is most important is to respond from their gut first because that sacral energy is so powerful. So an MG should always make sure that what they're doing lights them, lights their gut up. Um, but in terms of kind of being able to go out and start things, they're a little more able to do that than, than the generator. Okay. Okay. Um, so what advice would you give to a manifesting general generator that feels like they're out of alignment with their path? Yeah. So for, for MGs, the, the main thing that I see is <laughs> they'll, they'll be doing something. They'll be like, I don't, I don't like this anymore. And it doesn't make me excited. Like, can I really change? Um, and to that, I would say, yeah, like, absolutely. And so this is another form of saying no, but it looks a little bit different where, you know, it's like every, like periodically in an MG's life, it's like really looking at here are the 10 things I'm doing, like what is no longer lighting me up because it's not going to stay the same over, you know, one to three to five years. And so it's like really like pruning away at like, this is, you know, I got excited about photography for six months. I bought all the stuff you know, I kind of did it, but it's no longer exciting and I'm going to let it go. Right. And so it's saying no to the things that 
maybe you were excited about. And that's, that can be hard sometimes because there's always, not always, but often there's people that are saying like, why are you so flaky? You're changing your mind again? You know, and that can be really hard, but it's really the purpose of the MG to show everybody else that there's this nonlinear path. Like it all kind of comes together in the end. So an example of a famous MG, um, is Tony Robbins. And, you know, we all think of him and what he does is like, oh yeah, it makes so much sense. He's just like personal development, everything. Right. But when you really look underneath it, it's like, oh, finance, relationships, running a business, like hospitality. Right. And it only makes sense because he just like does it and he proves us wrong. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I guess that's, that is an interesting point about manifesting generators is they are probably I well certainly uniquely poised among the other types to be multi-passionate but also uh to follow through with those multi-passions um I know as a manifester sometimes you know the tendency is to be multi-passionate but really when it comes down to it there are only you know a handful of things that I'm going to be seeing through to fruition Um, and it doesn't mean those other things aren't valuable, I think, especially for like a creative process and that kind of thing. But yeah, when you talk about like a real powerhouse human being like Tony Robbins, you might almost miss the fact that he's so multi-passionate because he is able to, you know, bring those things sort of together under this one umbrella and have this just massive success. Yeah. Yeah. We're all like, oh yeah, he's so competent. Sure. He can do everything. Right. But it's like, um, To the other piece, so anyway, just to finish that thought, so for MGs, it's like, you know, when we're we're at the beginning or maybe in the middle of that whole journey, like we don't have that credibility and, you know, decades of reputation to validate where where you are, but um, it's about trusting that whatever your gut is excited by, that's really what you're meant to be immersed in and learning and experimenting with in that moment. Um, Because it's also false that like, you know, we, I think we all feel pressure to explain our choices, our careers, whatever, um, and kind of back it up with like, this is my plan. And like, I'm so certain, but the reality is things we can't, we don't know everything. Right. And even podcasting like 15 years ago, that wasn't, that wasn't a thing at all. Right. And so it's part of kind of the wisdom, I think of learning your design is also not realizing like, it's okay to not have all the answers that, the gifts that we come in at with our energy, like that's, we have exactly what we need to be able to achieve our purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay, let's get into the other two types. Did you, am I right that you called these non-energy types? Yep, exactly. So projectors and reflectors um, are non-energy types and they also don't have a sacral center defined. Um, projectors are all here to be guides. So we can, and I'm a projector, so I'm speaking from we now, um, we can feel into other people's energy. And also the sacral center is, um, it also rules like desire as well. So we can feel into like, what do people want? And we can feel so productive when we're in groups and then kind of through that, see you know what needs to happen, how to optimize something or tweak something to make it better. Um, so every projector is able to see something in a unique way, whether it's their art or their cooking or their science or their writing, um, whatever it is, we're, we're here to share that insight so that energy can be used um, more, you know, in, in a slightly better way 
um, than if we weren't here. And so because, because the purpose of a projector is to kind of share this information, to be the guide, um, the strategy is to make sure that when we're sharing this, the people who are receiving the information really have space to actually act on it because there's nothing less attractive than someone kind of just coming by and like telling you, well, this is how you should really do it. Right. And when that happens, it doesn't mean that the person necessarily is always listening or acting on it. Right. And so projectors, it's really important for, for us to wait for an invitation. That's the strategy of a projector. Um, just to make sure that we're not kind of like throwing things against a wall and just having them splat. Right. We want to make sure that we're actually effective in the world. Interesting. Um, I'm particularly interested in projectors because every other member of my household is a projector. Wow. Oh my gosh. I love it. We'll see what this third baby ends up being. But yeah, I was actually really surprised to see that because I think of my two children as being very different. And I'm sure, you know, if we really got into their charts, we would, we would see those, those things that make them seem so different too. But yeah, my husband and both of my children are projectors. Um, so one of the things I'm curious about is, you know, how other types can best relate to or treat projectors to create a a really positive flow in relationship. Yeah. Everybody loves asking this question because, because like in astrology too, right? There's like, oh, these types tend to pair together better or whatever. Um, in human design, I don't really have the perspective that any type is a better pairing than others, right? Because we can every type can show up like in alignment versus out of alignment. Um, but I will say that the projector manifester combination, it's, it's unique kind of benefit is, you know, manifestors are here to kind of do whatever they want. Right. And so sometimes there can be, um, I hope I don't offend <laughs> you by saying this, but sometimes there can be maybe a lack of like self-awareness on like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And like, what, like, this just makes sense, right? Projectors that are here to guide, it's like your, your projector partner, like might see like, oh, maybe that's a better way to do it. And so there's this really interesting growth opportunity for the manifester to recognize that they can benefit and be guided. And then for the projector to really feel so, because every projector just wants to be seen, right? Every projector is just like, I know the answer. Why won't someone ask me? Like, I just want to be useful. And so the projector gets a chance to, when they're able to share that, feel so seen and valued and it just like in a really, really deep way. Yeah, that, that totally resonates. Absolutely. Um, uh, I definitely think as a manifester, it's so easy be- to, because you are like so internally guided by, you know, what you think is the next best thing. Um, it's very easy to forget that there may be other people in that in that equation that have um, you know valuable ideas to add, and um, you know especially as obviously like in a corporate setting, I you know learn to keep that in check. But it's very easy in a family setting where you're so comfortable with everybody um, to kind of let that fall by the wayside, and I can definitely you know, see that as a, as a fault or deficit in myself sometimes. And I can also say uh, that my husband like very positively responds to me saying things like, well, what do you think about this? Yeah. <laughs> it's so rare that I, you know, sit back and, um, 
and kind of wait for that other perspective. Usually I'm so internally driven uh, in terms of the direction I think we need to go with something. Um, but yeah, it, that is something that I think he finds very, very validating. And, um, and certainly my son, I think is, he's the one of the three that seems most like textbook projector. Like it's just very clear how much he, you know, like you're saying, wants to be, um, included and asked about, you know, his opinion and just, he wants to feel validated and uh, he wants to be pleasing and and that kind of thing. Um, so it's been a little more natural to kind of give him what he needs. With my daughter, I think it's that is maybe that desire to um, be asked her thoughts and opinions and that kind of thing is uh, a little more guarded. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a really good bit of advice that I think that I will definitely take into my relationship with her. Yeah. Oh, and I love that you're a parent that knows people that knows human design. Um, Cause I think another thing for, for specifically your children, um, like, you know, the projector strategy is to wait for the invitation, but sometimes projectors hear that and they feel disempowered because they're like, Oh, I just have to sit around and like boohoo. Right. But actually, um, first of all, it's not so cut and dried, right? Like the way you get invitations is by seeing yourself as an authority, as someone who has something to offer first. And so that really starts with how you raise your children, right? So with your projector kids, it's like when you're kind of like praising them, not like, oh, like you're so smart or just kind of like that um, fixed mindset of like, it's an inherent quality, but rather, you know, I love the way you see that or what an interesting way of whatever and complimenting their or encouraging their ability to, again, recognize themselves first to know that like, they don't need to wait for someone else's permission always to um, be valid in and of themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So can you speak for a moment about uh, what, what the best way is for a projector to work, how much rest they need versus work time, that kind of, that real kind of practical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so the classic human design literature says projectors should work like three to four hours a day. Um, that said, what defines work is very like open to interpretation, right? So in general, what I've seen in my own life and then from other, other just teachers and projectors, um, that seems to work well is like, you know, you have the say three to four hours that are like really kind of like dedicated work, whether that's like producing, you know, a course or co- writing content or whatever. But then there's plenty of other hours to that you can still kind of invest in yourself that indirectly relate to work, but aren't as so they're, they're not so intense. So maybe it's like you spend another two to three hours kind of like reading and studying, or you know, you're cultivating your own sense of presence, like let's say you're a coach and you spend some hours like meditating and on your own practice where you can really, it allows you to show up as a guide, right? Um, More practical thing, I would say projectors, but also I've also talked to some manifestors where this is true too, Um, getting more sleep than that kind of like prescribed eight hours. Um, I know I personally tend to do better with like closer to 10 hours of sleep, Um, And obviously that's dependent on, you know, all the other life circumstances, but sleep and rest is so important because the physical body is so directly related to our, to our energetic body as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, 
I'm trying to think what else. Yeah, you said work, kind of like stable work, schedule, um, anything else? No, I think that answered it. I was just curious specifically about like the needs for rest. I Well, I think in general in our culture, I mean, rest is hugely overlooked and I think it's helpful for each type to understand like what their specific needs around rest really are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I would say, yeah, I think each person can kind of figure out what, what that is, but in general, like I talked to a lot of projectors actually, and like I said, a manifester recently as well. And she was like, oh yeah, like she was explaining her schedule to me and she was like, yeah. And I tend to do better when I sleep like nine hours a night, like apologetically. And I was like, no, don't apologize. Like if that's how much you need to sleep, like who said that was like too much. Right. Like, so, um, I, I'm very, very supportive of people getting more rest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm very precious about my sleep. So I empathize with that manifester that you spoke with. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay. So the last type, which I understand is like a very small percentage of the population are reflectors. Yes. So reflectors are about 1% of the population. Um, and their purpose is to really reflect back to their community, their group, what is going on with them because their chart is unique in that every single center is white, which means they're so receptive to the energy around them, not only from people, but also from the environment. And so they can deeply feel what's going on with the collective in a way that like literally is impossible to describe. I mean, cause we, I can't feel someone else's experience, right? I can only ever imagine. Um, and, and so that's a strength in a sense that when they talk about their own experience, they're really talking about everyone's experience, which is like really profound to think about. And so reflectors, it's really important for them to not put pressure on themselves to have to know who they are. Um, they're kind of like unicorns in this way where in a society where everyone's trying to figure out like, who am I and find themselves, reflectors will li like literally change based on where they are and who they're with. Um, and so to really accept and embrace the, the mystery of that, um, because they, when they're in alignment, they'll, they'll be eternally surprised by life because it's like, they don't even know, they don't even really know like, how many different flavors in the world and you know emotions and interests there are but they'll feel it what as they kind of get carried through their life and encounter all these different situations so i would imagine that because there is such a stigma around people kind of being a chameleon to particular groups or circumstances that you see a lot of reflectors that are feeling out of alignment is that is that true it seems like it's a be a hard world for, for well, reflectors I think um so this is just my anecdotal experience based on the handful of reflectors that I know um it can certainly be hard growing up right because like you don't know this about yourself and you know like thinking about reflectors, it's like who you hang out with is like literally who you become, right? So let's say you fall into the wrong crowd or whatever. And it's like, that can all be really painful. Um, but, but also when I've seen reflectors who really know, like I'm a reflector and I'm here to just like be whatever it is that's going on in the moment um, and, and allow themselves to not have to kind of cling on to an identity. 
um, they can be so powerful because they speak on behalf of everyone, right? And so um, just as, I guess like as with any type, right? It's like once you allow yourself to really follow your intuition and act out of integrity and what feels authentic to you, um, that can be a really beautiful place to be. And in some ways, reflectors perhaps more than say other other types um, are forced to do that, right? And to take a stance because it's like, there's not really another choice. Wow, yeah, that's really fascinating. Um, okay, so we have laid out a really solid foundation here, um, talking about these five types. Now that we have context, I wanna explore your personal story a little bit. So you've already said that you're a projector, and I'm curious what your life was like before you became a human design coach and just how you were led to do the work that you're doing now. Yeah. Um, so before I found human design, um, I too was in a corporate, um, corporate job and I was working, I, I currently live in the Bay Area. So there's a lot of tech here and coming out of school is, um, there's a lot of inertia to just kind of find a job and be in tech. And my personal background is very kind of academics focused and you know just like kind of following this path to like you know get a job that you know pays well and whatever and so um i i think like i always knew that that wasn't like really what i wanted to do um but it another part of me also wanted to prove that i could do it so i was in um I was in tech up until actually at the beginning of this year and the last sort of like three to four years, I have had, I had a series of kind of like health issues and the universe sending different situations that really forced me out essentially. Cause I think I was really, my ego was really clinging on to like, no, like, I, you know, I need to like be productive. Cause that was like a big part of how I, how I found worth. Um, and so anyway, to, to not ramble on too long, but the health issues ultimately made me take a kind of hard look at like this lifestyle is not sustainable for me, even though I sit, like I would look around and everyone around me seemed to be doing fine as a projector, um, being in like an office with thousands of people in, you know, back to back meetings all day. It just wasn't, it was just such a stress on like who I authentically am that even though I wanted to pretend I could do it, like it just wasn't, it wasn't working. Um, and so as all this was happening with my health, uh, I found human design through just like various personal development work that I have always been interested in doing. And learning my human design was this moment where I was like, oh my gosh, this is who I am. Like I'm a projector. I'm not lazy because I'm tired. Um, it's okay to kind of live this life that's more filled with ease that I really like hadn't imagined for myself. And it just explains so much about all these little moments where like I had felt something energetically was off. Um, for example, like waiting for the invitation growing up, I was always raised to think like, oh, like, you know, don't be so shy, just like put yourself out there. And like, you know, and there was always something really like, just the kind of like grabby or pushy about that energy. But I always thought it was a personal flaw of mine as opposed to like, oh, that's just not how I work, you know? Um, or like the projector not self is bitterness. 
So when we're kind of like pushing and trying to share all our stuff and people aren't having it, that sense of bitterness that um, is like a classic feeling and like just knowing that like, oh, when I'm out of alignment and feeling bitter, it doesn't mean I'm actually bad or my ideas aren't good. It's just because I was trying to force things in a way where other people weren't receiving it. All these little things helped bring so much more self-acceptance and um, patience and self-love. And so the more I started experimenting with my human design and the more it changed my life and in many ways supported me in this transition out of a corporate career um, with just a lot more trust and ease. And so anyway, now it's just like been so life-changing that I am really passionate about sharing it with people. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so important. I, I just, you know, as we were talking about earlier, recognizing that our world is really set up, you know, to be serving of, of just a small <laughs> or specific uh, portion of the um, population and that you may not fit into that. I mean, even kind of going off on a little bit of a tangent here. Um, I was listening to this doctor that I really appreciate speak on women's hormonal health. And she was speaking to the fact that our entire, you know, the typical corporate workday is built around the male uh, 24 hour hormonal cycle. When, you know, whereas women um, in their cycling years are on the quote unquote infradian rhythm, the infradian hormonal cycle, which is, you know, give or take 28 days. Um, and so just how, <laughs> how not serving that typical standard work day is for most women and how, you know, because we're unaware of that, the default is to think I'm not good enough. I can't keep up. Like you were talking about looking at your colleagues and saying, wait a second, like they seem to be fine with this. <laughs> What's wrong with me? Um, and it's really profound when you are given information that allows you to kind of accept that about yourself, that that system isn't working for you, even though it seems to work for other people. And that's one of the things that I, I really think is so wonderful and profound about human design in general is that um, it really gives this sense of relief to people. I mean, that was the biggest that was the biggest thing I noticed that was really different from other personality tests um, that I've used and loved. I'm like, I, you know, I really appreciate the Enneagram. It's helped me so much and it's helped me in relationships and all kinds of things, but the just relief and validation that comes from human design and that came from me when I started learning more about my chart personally um, that was unlike anything I had experienced with any of these other personality tests. And um, I mean, I think that it's just so vital that we can all, you know, have that experience because this constant, you know, pushing upstream um, to try to fit into, you know, uh, you know, this, this system that society's created, if it doesn't work for you, I mean, not only does it create all this, you know, mental spiritual angst, but as, as you alluded to, and this happened to me as well, it will come into your physical body eventually. Um, if, if you're going, you know, long and hard enough in that direction. And that's, you know, a lot of what I will see in my practice. I work 
specifically with women and a lot of um, women that have had children. And, you know, our culture is just not set up at all to support women properly postpartum. And, you know, then you have women that are extremely depleted under extreme strain trying to fit into these societal, uh, you know, lean in more. (laughs) It's like, what? Oh my gosh. Right. And lean out, lean (laughs) out, please. Well, it's so hard. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole separate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, right. That could be a whole another podcast, but I'm like very passionate about too. I mean, I don't have my own kids, but it's like, I have colleagues that, you know, would return from work. And I, you know, I worked at nice tech companies where women would get four months paid and like, you know, all the perks, like, you know, like had cleaner and like meals delivered and stuff like that. But four months is still not enough time. Right. Not at all. Yeah, absolutely. And, And to your earlier point about, um, you know, sometimes people being caught in a system that isn't working for them. Like, I don't want to leave out the generators, the MGs either. Like, you can absolutely be a generator, an MG with plenty of energy, but in a in a job that you don't like. And I've connected with some some generators and MGs that are really challenging, just like this corporate model in general. Like, even now with like sheltering in place and quarantine, I think we're seeing, you know, you can still be like a quote unquote, like good worker and like do a load of laundry at 2 p.m. on a Thursday. Like, why do we think that's like such a crazy thing? You know? Right, right, right. Believe it or not, people don't need to be hovered over, you know, nine to five in order to do their job. Um, I agree. I think it's a really interesting moment in history in that regard. I think a lot of the the flaws and fallacies of our workforce are being brought to light. And I hope that a lot of the lessons learned, uh, in that arena will um, will foster more change going forward and more flexibility for people to, you know, work within um, their own, their own strengths and, and work within um, at least more so uh, within what feels natural and in flow to them. Because the truth is that's, you know, how people produce the best work anyway. And so as an employer, if you can, you know, loosen the reins enough um, to trust, you know, that if you just allow folks to kind of work in their flow, you're going to get a better end result. I mean, that's, that's really profound. It's profound, you know, for the businesses themselves and their uh, success. And then also obviously just for the, you know, communal well-being of people. So yeah, really interesting. Um, okay. I had a couple of other questions about specific aspects of charts. And one is about the authorities. So each chart has a specific authority and I'm curious what that means. Yeah. So authority is basically the, the way your intuition speaks to you. So we talked about how every type, every energy type, um, you have your strategy, how you exchange your gifts with the world, but then you got to decide like, well, what do I actually want to, you know, share or whatever. And so authority, um, there's a few different, there's many different kinds. Some of the most common are having sacral authority, which I talked about. So that means like your gut will tell you. Um, Another very common one is emotional authority. So about half of the population has that where your intuition is, uh, let's say like colored by your emotional energy. And so these people, they're always kind of 
riding an emotional wave. So some days they'll feel high and some days they'll feel low. And it's not for any specific reason um, in like in terms of a situation, but just rather that's the energy that they're creating. Sometimes it's like an up energy, other times it's a down. And so for them, their intuition is always going to be colored by this emotional wave. And as a result, they generally don't have clarity in the moment. So emotional authority people, you always want to wait and give it some time before you make big decisions. Because if you're on a high, right, and you, you're feeling like, oh, I have to be spontaneous, um, which isn't correct for emotionally defined people, there's a tendency you want to say yes to everything that might actually not be right. Or there's a tendency if you're in a low to say no to everything when actually maybe, you know, you really do want to go on the trip tomorrow. So for those folks, they want to kind of take snapshots of how they're feeling about something over time um, and also feeling really like relying on let me sleep on it, let me get back to you. All of that is so helpful for the emotional authority person because like I said, in the moment, like there isn't, there isn't clarity. Um, and then the third most common type of authority is splenic, which is what you are. Um, and so for splenic authority people, your intuition is more of an instinct and to define that further, because now all these words sound very similar, it's almost like a subconscious, kind of like that primal animal instinct. So it's like the part of your nervous system that knows um, when to like fight or flight. It's uh, what like birds tap into when they migrate, right? There's just this knowing, but it's not really words so much. And it's it can be very subtle. And so the big kind of challenge for splenic authority people is to really differentiate between what is the splenic authority versus what's the mind because the spleen is also the splenic center is associated with survival right that fight or flight and so to survive well we had to be scared about dying right and so splenic authority splenic intuition can often have a tinge of kind of like a fear and if you're in this space, if you're into wellness and growth, um, fear is often viewed as something like bad that we need to kind of work through. But actually, the splenic intuition can, can have a little bit of that fear. So it, it really is a practice. And I would be curious to hear um, if you have thoughts, reflections, experience on your intuition, if you feel kind of like a connection to this splenic instinct. Yeah. Um, well, I definitely, I definitely tend to get uh, clear kind of intuitive hits about, you know, what the right thing is to do if I am consistently in a meditation practice, consistently in self-care. If I'm too caught up in just the grind of life, I will miss those signals because, and I, th I think you touched on this, but I've also read it. Um, I know splenic authority is very, it's like fleeting. Like, is that right? Like you, you sort of get that hit and then it's very easy if you don't like grab onto that and listen to that to then the mind starts going and to sort of lose, lose sight of it. So yeah, I've personally found that um, I do have a pretty strong, like, you know, quick intuition if if I'm doing all of the the right things in my life to kind of foster it. Yeah. Otherwise, the monkey mind will take over for me. Totally. Well, you touched on two things that are important to highlight. Um, so the first is 
that you you have to like for you you said if i'm in a regular practice then i can have more easy access to it and that's really important because if the spleen if we think about it as this like sympathetic response well if you're constantly stressed out you're never going to be able to feel your splenic intuition telling you hey this is danger hey there's some fear that i sense right because you're just always in you're always in fear mode you're always in stress mode so you have to have some level of calmness in your baseline to even hear that that splenic kind of like no danger right um and then to the other piece about it being fleeting i definitely struggle with how much i kind of like teach or share this because for me i know when i learned it i like i got so caught up in the fomo of like oh no what if i don't hear my spleen that it wasn't helpful and for really big things if you're super out of alignment say at a job you hate like don't worry your spleen will talk to you more than once right <laughs> so like don't stress about that but if it's something more i don't know let's say it's like going to like a happy hour that you feel like you should go to but you don't really want to go to and you're like you feel in your body like eh, i don't really want to go yeah maybe you only hear it, you only hear it once and you end up going but then you'll just be there and you'll realize you hate it and then you can leave right 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 that makes sense yeah that is an important note because i have i had that experience too when i when i read that it's fleeting that you know i'm like oh made me a little nervous like oh i really i really need to pay close attention or i'm gonna you know yeah i just find it's not helpful you know yeah. so i just like to to focus on the fact that yes it is quiet yes you want to watch out that you're not conflating it with your mind and I, again this will vary this this suggestion will probably vary from person to person but if you can feel into that first splenic hit um, before the mind comes in, before you try to justify it, that's another way where you can try to tease apart. Like, is that my intuition or is it just me overthinking? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So each chart also has a cross. What is the significance of the crosses? Yeah. So everyone has an incarnation cross, which uses the four most important gates in your chart. So the gates are all the different numbers you see. And those four kind of combine into your specific flavor of purpose. So if your overall purpose is related to your energy type, like as a manifester, you're here to initiate and start things as um, a generator, you're here to lift other people up by pursuing what lights you up. The specific flavor of your unique purpose comes from your incarnation cross and there's hundreds of them. So it's quite specific to, to you as a person. Okay. That's helpful. I feel like that was, as someone that was kind of studying on her own, that, that was the uh, most confusing element for me. So yeah, I think if you, if you Google like incarnation crosses, I also find a lot of the language online is kind of esoteric. And so if that's too daunting, just looking at the four gates can, is like, I find a lot more accessible. So like um, in your chart, for example, like gate 36 is one of your, your most important gates. Um, and 36 is all about being able to solve emotional problems um, because you've had to go through your own emotional stuff. And so as a result, you know, internally, you've had to have, you've had to find like the patience of riding with all the ups and downs. And so now you can offer that, that guidance to other people too. Yeah. Well, that's, that's my life in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> that's like my, how my whole practice was built. It's like, mm -hmm. let me go through the shit and then find my way out of it and figure out how I bring that wisdom to other people. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's, so each of these gates, um, they come from the I Ching, the 64 hexagrams of the I Ching. And 
um, the traditional name for 36 is the lightning in the dark. So it's like you kind of, whatever darkness you've been through, you, you also bring lightness to it too. And you, you see the way to lightness through the darkness. I love that. Um, on that note, another thing that is that differentiates human design from other personality tests is it has this basis in, um, well, I guess I should say it appears that it's a more spiritual construct, but that's not necessarily correct, right? There is basis in, in science as well. Yeah, this is an interesting one to talk about because, yeah, if you go on like Instagram, right, you'll see a lot of, you see people who's, who speak and teach about human design, they're quite spiritual. Um, yet when you go back to the founder of human design and, you know, the the principles of what kind of gets baked into this chart, it's actually all very science-based. So the founder himself was an atheist. And here's the thing, like I, I have the, the sort of like main textbook that goes through the science of it. It draws from quantum physics. So I will say as like a layperson, I can like kind of read it and understand it, but am I a quantum physicist? No, right? So I like jokingly me and my, I have some people in my circle who are like much more scientific than me. And they're like, you don't really like, that's so woo woo. That's like fake quantum. I'm like, well, do you really understand quantum physics? You know? So I will, I'm going to kind of like leave that piece aside and just go off of what I have um, read based on what the founders, the founder has said, which is there are subatomic particles called neutrinos that kind of stream through from all the different planets and, you know, bodies in our, in our, solar system that kind of like pattern us as we get born. And so that's what gives us our gates and channels and centers. And so it's actually quite scientifically based. Um, some, like I've talked to some human design people that are like, you know, you shouldn't really be even be talking about this as a spiritual thing because it's all science-based. Um, but I find that for me personally, like human design and knowing my chart has been an entry point to more spiritual growth. And so to me, there's an overlap for sure, even though it wasn't set up originally that way. So are there any books or specific resources that you would recommend to people interested in learning more about human design? Yeah, totally. So this is definitely like depends on the the person and how they like to how, how okay they are with like kind of going into more esoteric stuff. The only book that I really recommend is the one written by Ra Uruhu. It's like 50 bucks on Amazon. Um, we can link it or you can Google it. It's like very simple to find. Um, but if you just want to know about like yourself and you want it to be maybe a little more digestible in the language, um, I just like to tell people to start like following on Instagram or listen to podcasts because that's going to be in language that makes a lot more sense, I think. Okay, that's helpful. And what can people expect when they work with a human design reader or coach like yourself? Yeah, so I, I'll speak to how I work with people because um, I've also had readings with other folks that the experience is a little different. Um, like I said, I like to use human design as a, as a tool to help people live more in flow. So in a reading people will often come in with something specific they want to focus on. So whether it's their health or like growing their own business slash kind of like career or, you know, digging more into like what really is my purpose and going through a transition. And so with that lens, um, I go into people's charts and we kind of talk about like one, like how, how do you want to be? And a lot of times people feel so seen and just 
more empowered to act in the way they, they want to anyway, but you know, they just want kind of permission to be themselves. Um, so that's how the reading works. And then often what happens is with these bigger kind of decisions or transformations people are going through, the chart is just the blueprint for who you have the potential to be. But there's often a lot of, uh, there's been like programming or experiences that limit your ability to do so. So then there's all this interesting work we can do around shifting subconscious blocks. And so when I work with coaching clients, um, it's, it's more around that. So it's like, okay, now we know, you know, where you want to go and who you want to be, but let's say, you know, you feel like you're too much. Well, let's actually go into that. And I have a yoga background and meditation background, and I've studied various modalities and um, shifting kind of subconscious mindset. And so that's something that, that we'll go on a journey together. Um, um, so that's what that looks like. But I will say like for, I've had readings with other, with other folks as well. And to anyone who's thinking about getting a reading, I would just find a reader that you resonate with. Cause, cause that's ultimately what it is, right? You want them to be able to speak to you in language that you relate to as opposed to I think I've I've had a lot of readings with people who know a lot about human know a lot about human design but they don't necessarily know how to apply that to like my life or what I should do with that information um, so that would just be the one kind of piece of advice I would offer that's really helpful and where can people find you to book a reading or follow your content yeah. Um, so I'm on Instagram at victoriajane.hd. And yeah, wherever wherever you are in your journey, I'm posting all the time just little tidbits to learn more about your chart. Um, and then people can reach out if they want to go deeper in a reading. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today, Victoria. I know this is going to be helpful for so many people. I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. And I can't wait to connect with folks.